Well, good morning again. My name is Pastor Milo. It is so good to be with you here this morning. Uh, we had a unique experience as a family this weekend. Uh, we'd never had this before, but I kind of assume it is going to happen again, where we had uh, two performances of our kids at two different schools at the same night at the same time. Have you ever had that before, parents? You have to deal with that? And you have to decide which kids you like and which kids you don't like. <laughs> it's a tough decision. No, actually, the first one was at elementary school, and our neighbor is the elementary school principal, and so we begged him. It was a, a talent show, and so his daughter and our daughter were in the talent show together. So we asked him, and he, he pulled a few uh, strings and put us at the very beginning of that show so we could run out of there and then get over to the middle school uh, for the middle school's performance uh, that same night. Uh, at the elementary school talent show, though, I learned a couple of jokes that I wanted to share with you uh, this morning. I mean, this kid was good. Like, he was a kindergarten or first grade. He had his note cards, and he just went right through them, and, and hopefully it'll go over as well this morning as it did that night. How, how can you tell—oh, no, there it goes. I lost it already. How did the flashlight feel when the battery was replaced? How—say how. Help me out here. How—there you go. Okay, so how did the flashlight feel when the battery was replaced? Enlightened. It's pretty good. How can you tell that you own a mathematical plant? It has square roots. That was for this row up here, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a middle school science teacher, I'm not telling a joke at this point. Who's teaching, teaching his class all about the properties of magnets and all that went into a magnet, how they work, and all those different things that went that. The next day, he gave his students a quiz, and the first question read like this, my name begins with an M, I have six letters, and I pick things up, what am I? Fifty percent of the class wrote mother in the blank. There are some great portraits of motherhood in Scripture. I love the mother of Moses who cared so much for her son. She worked so hard to make sure that he was going to be okay. When, when all of the rest of Egypt was in turmoil, she put all of her effort and all of her focus in her son in order to teach him the faith. She was willing to break the law. We the, the sacrificial love for a mother, the way that uh, King Solomon told him she was willing to have her son taken away by another woman. Uh, and it, it would mean that she would not give up having her son cut in half. She would give her son away if it meant uh, that he would be okay. The mother of King Lemuel, who gave the advice to her son, as you've read in Proverbs 31, about what it means to be a godly mother. The mother of James and John, who loved her boys so much that she wanted them by her Lord's side in the heavenly kingdom, that she wanted to make sure that they were on the right and the left of the Lord. I'm aware that Mother's Day is difficult for some of you. Maybe you wanted to be a mother, but you can't for some reason. Maybe you've not had the best mother in the world, that the, the, the mother that you had raised you was a little bit more difficult than another one. Maybe you've had a mother who's died recently. Maybe you are a mother who has lost a child. Maybe you mothers are feeling the pain of a wayward child this morning. 
Or maybe you're a mother who's flying solo and trying to nurture a child all on your own, and you're looking at things saying, I didn't expect it to be this way. It's not the way I thought it was going to be. Today's message, we've got you mothers in mind. We're so glad you're here. Uh, but child rearing is not only about the mother, as we talked about with the child dedication this morning. We ask you all to be part of that, that it's not only for the mothers. So the rest of you who are not mothers who are here, boy, we're glad that you're here as well. There are a few things that God's Word has to say about this. But there is a poem, I think it's a poem, it's certainly an article by Amy Young that I've read a few times on Mother's Day, and I think that it speaks to an important thing that we want to put out there, and that's really the wide continuum of mothering. It goes like this, to those who have gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and you wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say the foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and we remember you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who are step-parent, we walk with you through these complex paths. To those who will have emptier nests in this upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and the surprised, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. So mothers, Mother's Day is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. Would you give them a round of applause one more time this morning? If you got your bulletins this morning, you pull out a white sheet of paper that's stuck there in your bulletins. It's an outline so you have an idea of where we're headed today, of where we'll be going together in Romans chapter 8. We want to start with this statement this morning, and it connects with what we just talked about. We can be assured that all of God's great promises to us will be fulfilled. The pain that you've been feeling cannot compare to the joy that's coming. The pain that you are feeling cannot compare to the joy that's coming coming. One of the things that's a family tradition for us in our home, uh, it started with Aaron's mother and she's kind of carried the tradition on, is anytime that there's one of our kids' birthdays, the night before, she tries to tell the story of what it was the night before they were born. To kind of tell the story of how it all kind of came together and then finish the story the next day of, and then you arrived, then you were here. And so we try to do that, we forget some years, the kids that we don't like as much, we don't really tell the story to them. No, we, it's something we want to do. I say it's tradition, it's, we try to do it. But the funny thing is, is every time we try to tell any of the kids' stories, it seems like I always remember this story that actually isn't one of our kids' stories. 
So you see, we lived in Beaufort, South Carolina. I was in the Marine Corps, and we lived just off the base. Most people lived on base, but we found with another couple a little townhouse just outside the gate of the base. And so there's two or three of us that had uh, these little townhouses there just outside of the base. And so uh, this other couple, Dan, Dave Davis is their last name. I'm trying to remember his first name because I never actually call him by his first name. Uh, Steve and Marisa Davis lived in, the, in, a, in one of the other townhouses there with us, and they had a one-year-old, and they were pregnant with their second. And the reason I remember the story is because we were part of their birth plan. When they were going to go to the hospital, we knew that we had to be on call because their one-year-old, Tristan, was going to be with us when they went to the hospital. And so we got the call, and they took off for the hospital, and we took off for the hospital, and somehow we got to the hospital before they got to the hospital. We're so excited about this new baby being born. So we, we were in the hospital, we jump out of our car, we're waiting for them, and then I hear Davis coming down the road, laying on the horn the whole way. And I see him in the distance, the way the hospital was, you could see two or three intersections there. And as he's coming through red lights, he's laying on the horn, swerving through the intersection, and a police officer has picked up his tail on the way through, and just kind of gradually they pull into the hospital in there and dump out. And, and I see Marisa, and she's not doing well. She looks like she's in a little bit of thing. And... Uh, And so we scoop up their baby, and we thought we were going to kind of chit-chat about, man, isn't this exciting? Aren't you so glad we're part of your birth plan and all that? And no, they, they didn't want to talk to us at all. And uh, Marisa was put in, in, in the wheelchair, and she was taken into the hospital, and then we were standing there holding the baby, and we didn't know really what to do. And, um, and so we kind of went out and about with the baby, and the funny thing was a lot of people that day told us how much that he looked just like us, his parents. <laughs> Meanwhile, his actual parents are having their second. But anyway, so, so the neat thing about all of that was, is we got to be part of their story, part of that day. And wouldn't you know it, within just a couple of hours, it was not long at all, their second son came along and was born that day. So fast forward a few years, that was 2002, 2003, 2006, we are pregnant and we are the ones that are having the baby. And so uh, it, we told all of our friends, all of our family, Christmas that year uh, was our due date right around Christmas that, you know, they needed to come to us, we weren't going anywhere and they needed to be ready because we were going to have this baby. Well, Christmas came and Christmas went and New Year's came and New Year's went and then another week after New Year's came and it went, and time was moving along, and Erin was not pleased with the situation. But the day came, and she said, I think it's time, and we decided we needed to go to the hospital. And so, because I had in the mind that this is what it looks like when you go to the hospital, I too raced through the intersections and the race, and I got her there. And we let everybody know what was going on. We were there at the hospital. We called all of our friends, all of our family, about 5.30 in the morning. We said, it is happening. Well. When I tell uh, Tristan's birth story, it's a little bit different than Delia's birth story because hers takes about 38 more hours to finish the story. So if I say later is better than now, some of you have difficulty believing me. You know what they say about patience, right? Patience is a virtue. Here's a poem from an author unknown. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, but never in a man. 
Uh, yeah, there's some amens to that one. Okay. <laughs> Would you get your Bibles? Romans chapter 8, as we said, verse 18, page 1184, if you're following along in those Bibles that are there in front of you. We're talking today about suffering and glory. A woman's childbirth, there is a lot of suffering and there's a lot of glory. And the reality is we're, we're talking about this and looking at this passage today because the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor to really talk about what happens in our own spiritual suffering and then therefore spiritual glory. Are you there yet? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I consider that our present, su present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I told you to get that white sheet of paper out. This is your first fill-in for you this morning. It is not looking good right now. It is not looking good right now. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. But right now, it doesn't look so good. A couple of things you should never say to a woman who's in labor if you value your life. How long do you think this will take? Shh, you're being too loud. Boy, my back is really killing me standing here. I'm exhausted. Or even worse, you look exhausted. It's not looking good right now. You see, the reality is the Bible tells us if we come to Jesus with all of our problems, they won't just magically go away. The reality is many of you are here this morning, you realize that things don't look so good right now. You see, it's actually the opposite. We will most likely experience great turmoil and trouble in life because of the name of Jesus Christ. At the Nicene Council, which is where they wrote the Nicene Creed, it's an important church meeting in the 4th century A.D. There was 318 delegates at that meeting. I learned this week by an author, Vance Havner, that fewer than 12 of the 318 had not lost an eye or a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture because of their Christian faith. It's not looking so good right now. You see, suffering is certainly part of the Christian life. It's not always physical suffering. Sometimes it's emotional suffering. Sometimes it's the soul suffering. Sometimes it's spiritual suffering. But it's not looking so good right now. C.S. Lewis developed this analogy. He talked about a mold or a cast of a key. And he talks about how it looks really strange if you don't actually know what a key looks like. If you look at the mold of what would make the key, that in itself looks odd. It doesn't make any sense if you've never seen the key. You see, if we look at our sufferings in our present state, then it will look awfully strange if we don't understand that the key is glory. The key is one day being sanctified when he makes all things new. If you leave here this morning, you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, and you get a key cut. First of all, it makes a terrible sound. Will you agree with me on that? Anyone know what I'm talking about? I used to go and get keys cut. Now I just send George Sharp to go get our keys cut. I don't want anything to do with it. It makes this awful sound because you're putting this blank key in and it's grinding and it's pulling things away so that the key can be made. 
Now, the guy who's there making the keys at Home Depot, he isn't doing me any favors. He says, you know what, that grinding, that's painful. Here, why don't you just take the blank key and just use that instead? You know, he's not doing me any favors, is it? Because what happens when I get home? The key is not going to work. See, suffering doesn't compare to our future glory, it says here. Because if that key cutter doesn't want to cause us any pain, he doesn't do us any good. No, suffering is going to mold us, shape us. And John chapter 16, verse 21 says this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets all that anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I stand here before you knowing absolutely nothing of what I'm about to say. But I will tell you that that has been the spirit of my wife every time that she's had a child. That the anguish and pain is just overwhelming joy afterwards. How many dads, how many of you were forced to go to Lamaze classes because you knew that it was going to do something useful? Raise your hand. Only three or four of you, okay. Well, there's some of us that went to these Lamaze classes, but the, the point of the Lamaze class, the reason that you go that is, is you are learning through some of these other techniques to help keep mom focused on the main deal of having the baby, to keep her mind off of the pain. Breathing techniques, encouragement, saying you're doing a great job. He's almost here or she's almost here. The reality is, is you're trying to keep her focused on what's in front of her rather than getting frustrated with what she's going through. You're trying to help her stay focused on what's in front of her rather rather than her being frustrated in what she is going through. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to what? To frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated in its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pain of childbirth right up to the present time. It's not looking good right now. Here's your second feeling. It's not the way it was supposed to be. It's not looking good right now. It's not the way it was supposed to be. You see, in the beginning, God created all things good. All heavens and earth are made to highlight his glory. His greatest creative masterpiece, humanity, decided to disobey him. And in doing so, sin enters the world. You see, in the beginning, there was perfect fellowship with God. Remember I talked earlier about one of the things that we are really value as a church is that relationship, that fellowship with one another and with God. But in the beginning, it was perfect. There was no evil. There was no death. There was no suffering, which means there must not have been any Bills fans. <laughs> and certainly there was not Tom Brady. I'm certain of that. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and it changed everything. Because of their disobedience, sin came into the world. They chose to go their own way instead of following God's perfect way. That's the definition of sin. Going our own way instead of choosing God's perfect way. So with their sin and with your sin and with my sin comes consequences. Paul is saying here that the world is not what it was meant to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. 
God intended for everything to be perfect the way that he drew it up, the way that he designed it, the way that he created it, and yet his creation itself, you and me, messed things up. And we messed it up because we are in bondage. We messed it up because we are in sin. And we find ourselves longing for it to be right again. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you we trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior or not, there is a longing inside of each of us for things to be right in the world. There is a longing in each and every one of us to find some solution to the dissolution that's all around us. We are experiencing the pain and turmoil that God told Adam would happen. Because of sin, we are separated from God. Therefore, we experience evil, we experience injustice, we experience disease, we see world disasters, we have disappointments, we have relational problems, we have to go to work every day, we have great suffering, we have tragedy, we have death. Everything that is negative is a result of sin. All creation suffers under this weight of sin. This is a sad reality. And some of you are saying, you're you're reading my mail. This is what the last 24 hours has looked like. This is what the last 24 days has looked like. This is what the last two decades has looked like for me. There's good news. There's good news, however, because creation has never been without hope. Creation has never been without hope. Look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. We talked about that last week. The redemption of our bodies. For in what? This hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope what we do not have yet, we wait for it and we wait for it patiently, it says here. Your last feeling this morning is this. It's going to be worth it. You see, it's not looking so good right now. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but it's going to be worth it. It's not looking so good right now. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but it's going to be worth it. From the beginning, even in our sin, God had a plan for redemption. The situation seemed hopeless, but God punished creation with what? With hope. It looked hopeless. It looked like our sin had done us in, and what did he do? He punished us with hope because he loves us, and he created us to be in that relationship with him. He cares about you so much, friend, that he wanted to create a solution for you to be reunited with him, to be in relationship with him. We talked about this last fall as we talked about really what is the whole storyline of the Bible, what is being told. First, we talk about how it all began in creation. And then as we just discussed with Adam and we talk about how it all went wrong. It was all messed up. And we find our way all the way through the Old Testament and it looks really messed up. And then there's this 400-year gap and then what do we find? We find Jesus, how it all turned around. And then one day we get to really understand the story of how it will never end. This is the story that is being told in God's Word. This is the story we read when we go from Genesis to Revelation. This is the story that we try to communicate here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, to be reminded that there is hope. 
Jesus brought hope and light into the world. But only through his perfect sinless life and death would he be able to pay the price for our sins and be able to pay it in full. You see, hope was crucified on the cross. Now we live in a Catholic area and there's one of the things that we do differently and just of the tangible ways that you'll see difference between a Protestant church and a Catholic church is that in, in our worship service, we have a cross behind me and it's there behind me and it's in the center for all to see. But I want to remind you, there's one thing that looks different about the cross that's in our church that hangs there is our cross doesn't have anyone on it because Jesus is not there. He is risen. He has been set free. Hope has been victorious. The third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. Yes, amen. He defeated sin and death, erasing forever the penalty for sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world. Hope brought resurrection, and through that brought us salvation, it says here. Verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As Christians, our hope is in the future glory that is to come when God redeems us as his creation. As Christians, our hope is in the future glory that is to come when God redeems us and his creation. It's written there in the bottom of your notes. If you want to take that home with you and just be able to keep that market circle, highlight that. As Christians, our hope is in the future glory that is to come when God redeems us and his creation. The suffering that we experience now, the tragedy, the chaos, the, the brokenness of nature and creation will be worth it in the end. Yes, friend, life is hard, loss is difficult, and sin has ruined everything. But we can rest assured in his faithfulness and the promise of God that one day he will do what? He will make all things new. Whatever you're going through today, whatever trials you are going through, understand and believe that God is using those trials to strengthen your faith. Scripture we read to consider it pure joy when you experience difficulty, because God is going to use it to make a positive impact in your life today and for all eternity. I remember being at the hospital very early in the morning. We got to check, we checked in in the hospital. It was, it was, a, it was real quiet, but we had to be there early. This time we weren't there rushing into the emergency room. This was scheduled. We were going to be there. Aaron wasn't in labor yet. But the schedule says that it was going to be today that she was going to have her C-section. Our son had been diagnosed with HLHS, an atrial septal defect. What hypoplastic left heart syndrome is, is that the baby is born with only three chambers in their heart. What atrial septal defect means is that even though there's only three chambers in the heart and mom's blood is, is being pumped through their system, that the lungs are also damaged because now the oxygenated blood, because of this atrial septal defect, cannot get around back to the other side of the heart to be pumped back through the rest of the organs of the body, specifically the brain. And so mom is not only having her heart beat for the child, but also her lungs are providing oxygenated uh, blood for the child as well. This was the defect for our son, Josiah. 
The moment that he took his first breath, the countdown would begin. The doctors would need to do surgery immediately to open an artificial way to be able to get that oxygenated blood from one side of the heart to the other. The operating room was busy. There were people from all over the place coming to this uh, medical hospital to be able to see our unique child. The reality was is that through the double doors, I was on the outside looking in. I didn't have enough credentials to be in the room. This was a very difficult situation. This was a very unique child, and I wasn't going to be in there to mess it up. Specifically, some of you know I have a problem with fainting. <laughs> the last thing you needed was me in that room at that time and someone having to drag me out by the ankles. So I had to sit at the end of the hallway. And we got to know some of the nurses and doctors later who knew me by name later. They thought that I was literally in the hallway doing some type of study as to how traffic moved within the building. And they thought that I was there with like a clicker saying, okay, seven people came from this direction and 13. They had no idea what I was doing. I was sitting there in a chair focused at the end of the hallway through the double doors because my son was being born. And I was told, the doctor told me ahead of time, he said, it's going to be a complex situation. We're going to we're going to do the very best to make the C-section go as quickly as we can. And as soon as we're able to, we're going to bring your son out the doors. And you'll know when he comes towards you in the hallway, that intersection that you are at, if he turns to your left, then you know that he is going to be going directly to the cath lab to be worked on. If he goes to the right, that means that we're not sure that he's stable enough to go there yet. We're not sure that we could go into that procedure. And so he comes down the hallway comes towards me, and I get to look into my little boy's eyes, give him a little squeeze of the hand, and they turn left and go this way. So I know at that point that they're going to the cath lab. I know that the surgery is going to take a while, but I didn't know that it was going to be six to eight hours before we knew really what was going to happen with our son. And we got to go back to see Josiah. We got to spend time with him at that point, and it was a shocker to be able to see all the equipment that was around him. That, that cath lab procedure, he had lost uh, one of his kidneys in the process. His liver was severely damaged. His other kidney was really struggling to keep up. So there's all the things that he lost. But I'll tell you what, we didn't lose hope. His little heart was beaten. And he didn't lose him that day. We didn't lose him that day. Not only did he live through that day, he lived through 253 more days. And they were beautiful. And they were glorious. And at 254 days, the story does not end, friends. Because as Christians, our hope is in what? The future glory that is to come when God redeems us and his creation. As the band comes forward this morning, we're going to sing a song that's familiar to many of you. I'm not sure what the situation is for you today, but for many of you, you might be looking and saying, it's not looking good right now. And the situation that I'm in is not the way that it's supposed to be. But maybe you need someone at the end of the hallway saying, but, but maybe if we turn left here, 
Maybe that's all you have this morning. Maybe I can just be the guy, the, the directional officer, whatever they thought that I was doing. Maybe this morning I can kind of point you there to say, but God has a way. There is hope. It's only a small amount of hope. It's the tiniest, almost insignificant amount of hope. But there is hope today. And that hope will grow. And that hope will blossom in the future glory that is to come. In Psalm chapter 46, it says this, God is our refuge and our strength. He's our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, we will not be afraid. It's going to be worth it all. As the ushers come forward this morning, the song that we're going to sing is, like I said, familiar to many of you. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. If you don't know the full backstory, I encourage you to look it up after this. But the Cliff Notes version is this. The author of this song had lost his family at sea. And on a second trip over the very spot that he had lost his family, his entire family, his ship had capsized. When he revisited the spot, he wrote down the words to this song, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I pray that you could leave here this morning with hope, knowing that it is well with my soul. And the hope that is given through that is salvation. If you are not an understanding this morning of who Jesus is, please write something down in that connection card. Drop it in the offering plate this morning. Give us an opportunity to be able to introduce you to Jesus because it's through Jesus Christ and the salvation in Jesus Christ that we have the hope by which to stand here today. It is well, it is well with my soul. Dear Lord, I pray that your word has spoken clearly. Lord, we do have as a people, as a nation as human beings on this planet, groaning and suffering and frustration. But Lord, we trust that in all of that, it gives way to future glory. We trust that there's not much that we can do to get through it. We need you. We need you desperately this morning. And so if there is even one person here this morning who would put their faith and trust in you, knowing that there's not anything they can do themselves, but it's all that you can do to bring us through. I pray that you would make that clear today. Thank you for everyone else in the room. Lord, those who have come in, they trust in you, Lord, but they needed to be reminded of the hope that we have of glory. I pray, Lord, that they too would sing, it is well with my soul. Lord, work in hearts, change lives here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.